This is the Sibling Library Podcast. You will know when to start listening when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. Welcome to Chapter 24 of Sibling Library, the podcast where we read, share, and repeat. I'm the hostess with the mostest, Megan. Crickets. Oh. (laughs) I'm Julia. And I'm Katie. And you're rude. Yep. (laughs) So today we are very excited. We're going to talk about our favorite well, one of our favorite series uh, that we've mentioned sev- at least several times, possibly many times before on it's shows. Come up. It has come up. Uh, we're going to be just... Dis- you could probably use it as a drinking game if you're into that. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to go back through our archives. Yep, you probably could. Um, uh, it's The Unicorn Chronicles by Bruce Coville. So we will be discussing that today. If you have not read the Unicorn Chronicles and you don't want to be spoiled, go read the Unicorn Chronicles and come back and listen because there will be spoilers ahead. Just to warn you. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, word is what we're going to do next. (laughs) Julie wants me to re-lead into that, I think. No, it's fine. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, so this week we are going to start off with everyone's new favorite segment that we introed last, uh, last month and it's lovingly called O-Word. So <laughs> the word that we are O-Wording today is called, it's luster. And the reason, uh, we chose this, I think Katie decided for us to do this one. Um, it is actually the name of the world where the unicorns live in the Unicorn Chronicles that we're going to be discussing. So I found some very interesting information about this word. And obviously, I will start with the definition. I'm not going to read all of the definitions because there is a handful. I'm going to use the ones that I think are most relevant to our discussion going forward. But the main definition is a gentle sheen or soft glow, especially that of a partly reflective surface, um, and especially in regards to discussing how minerals reflect light. And then it also says um, a glory or a distinction. So like if you say something has a luster, then it's kind of glorious. It's distinct. Um, It stands apart from the crowd. Um, And I thought that these definitions kind of related to Unicorn Chronicles in several ways. Um, First, because worlds or planets are made up of minerals, right? So it's kind of appropriate to be describing it with the the word that you would use to describe uh, the color or the sheen or the glow of a mineral. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting was that it said glory or distinction. In this book, um, a group of uniform, a unicorns is referred to as a glory. And I googled it to see if that was the proper term, you know, like a gaggle of geese or what a are murder some, of crows. A murder of crows. And according to pride of lions, as we learned in our last episode. Yes. A, a gang of turkeys. Oh, that is an appropriate one for sure. I know sure. things too. <laughs> nice work. Um, so in the Unicorn Chronicles, Bruce Coville refers to any time you see a group of unicorns, he calls them a glory of unicorns. Um, I googled it to see if that was 
the proper term. I don't know if you can have a proper term for a mythical creature because no one ever is going to actually see one. But Google says it's actually called a blessing of unicorns. So that's nice, too. That is nice, too. Yeah. I wonder if that was an intentional choice for him, though, being that he chose the word luster to to name the world the world. That's kind of an interesting detail. I wonder if he he took that liberty to to change that. Yeah, I was kind of wondering that, too. Um, So I Googled the history of the word luster and something that came up, which I didn't know was a thing. You guys can tell me if you knew this was a thing or if this came up in your search, Katie. But a a different type of search automatically populated for me called called books engram. And I don't know if it's that's how it's pronounced, but it's N-G-R-A-M. Ingram, engram, engram. I don't know. Um, but it essentially gave me like a graph that uh, depicted the trends of the usage of the word luster in books p- uh, published in the United States from 1800 to now, um, which was kind of fascinating. I That's interesting. I'm not entirely sure I fully understood it, but something that I took away from the graph that came up was that the word luster peaked in popularity in about 1919 to 1920. Hmm. Um, so another thing that was cool about that graph was if you clicked on a certain year, then it would bring back or bring up a bunch of books where that word was used that is published in Google Books that you can either, if it's old enough you can read the whole thing if you want if it's not that old um then you can only read parts of it but uh, the example i picked two examples one from around the time that the word had peaked and then one from more recent times that i want to go over from an older book that i believe was published in 1924 so around the time that the word lester was in its peak usage um the, the book that caught my eye was called How to Dress Well. Um, let me grab my... And I it pulled up a couple examples as well of that word in, its, uh, in usage within that book. Um, and one was on page 50. And it said, this woman... Or sorry, hold on. Her silence is more dangerous than her speech. Which I thought was fascinating in 19, that that was what, written in 1924, but to go on. Um, this woman of middle age should sparkle with the brilliance of a glittering gem, or she should glow with the appealing luster of a pearl. Um, so that was one time that it was used. And then the next time made me laugh out loud. Uh, this is on page 180 of the same book. The sheen of the metal fabric enhanced her honey-colored hair. But alas, a front gold tooth, which was the girl's bait noir, received the imparted luster as well. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was hilarious that they're saying the whatever fabric she was wearing, the sheen of it was complimenting her hair. But her so was the luster of her gold like, tooth. Which tooth was gold? <laughs> A front tooth? I don't know. It had to have been a front tooth. Otherwise, how would they have been able to see it? <laughs> hilarious. I just found it hilarious. Outside of Home Alone, I didn't know that was, was something that they did. I was just thinking of Home Alone. <laughs> well, it was probably at the time a sign of you know, opulence and wealth that you had the 
the ability to um, fix a tooth with gold as opposed to just extracting it and having like a wooden tooth, you know. So it probably was somewhat fashionable or at least a a weird flex. <laughs> weird flex, but okay. Um, and then the other example um, from literature that I found from a more recent uh, book was a book published in 2014. Oh, and I couldn't find the author of How to Dress Well. Um, so the other one that I found was published in 2014 by Dr. Matthew Allen, and it's called The Luster of Everyday Things, Pictures and Poetry Celebrating Life's Small Treasures and Simple Pleasures. Um, and this one, I could only really see the first couple pages, but I thought uh, there was an interesting paragraph that used the word luster in the introduction. Uh, he wrote, For when you begin to look at them closely, you begin to see that even the simplest everyday thing, be it a blue butterfly or a red flower, a new shirt or a kitchen colander, can have a transcendent beauty and a surprising significance. Everyday things do have their individual lusters and deserve to be gazed upon with great pleasure in quiet moments. Um, so I thought that was interesting that uh, I, I love those types of books where you're looking at everyday things and trying to find the beauty in them. So anyway, I love that too. Yeah. And one of the things that came to mind when you started reading through that is when I when I think of the word luster, what first comes to mind for me is is kind of what you had in the definition where you think about like the um the sheen or the 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 playing of interplay of light and like kind of a glowing quality um and one of the things that in my life i i see that in a lot is um is watercolor painting and and paintings in general where the artist is really just able to to capture and bring out how the light interacts with a scene or with an object um so that that really comes to mind for me and we have a friend um amy whose brother steven is an exceptional watercolor artist and his um his art always looks very lustrous to me okay are you guys ready to get into the unicorn chronicles by your excited um what do you even call what you just did squish lustrous voice to the squish <laughs> i think she's i think she's i think I she did squeed. Do it was a, a an adorable squee <laughs> like the squidgem you squidgemed oh the squidgem we're getting ahead of ourselves we are i i, th I think we are ready for this and i'm gonna i'm gonna just go ahead and step in here and kind of give a background of why this is a long time coming um, I believe of the three of us, I was the first Bruce Coville fan. Um, I used to check out um, a book called Sarah's Unicorn, which was published in 1979. I was not born in 1979, but the library had it when I was there um, as a young child. And it was written by Bruce Coville and illustrated by his wife, Catherine. Um, and I checked this book out so many times our mom decided, you know, we should probably just buy it because it was getting pretty tattered and there weren't any other copies at the library. So she's like, let's just, let's just buy it. Um, so this was actually the second book that he ever wrote. Um, and we went out to, do you remember the bookstore Walden 
books. Do you remember that bookstore? It rings a bell. Yeah, we used to go there all the time at our local mall, and we had to special order it from there, so it felt super fancy and like <laughs> not usually what my mom did with us. Um, so I was so excited to get it. And now I have my own copy and I actually just purchased a second copy because Bruce Koval has his own website that you can buy books directly from him and you can ask him to sign it. So I'll have a little squidge moment when that comes in the mail. Um, <laughs> Julia loves a signed yeah, I do, book. Especially by an author that means something to me. Um, and yes. so going back to when I was little, the second time that I saw his name come up, um, I was pouring over a Scholastic um, book order. Do you remember those? Little like mini little catalog. paper catalogs. Yes, I loved um, them. And mm-hmm. there was this book that had a lustrous unicorn on the cover. I was like, I must have that. Um, and I read it. And then I realized I put two and two together. I was like, hey, this is the same guy that wrote Sarah's Unicorn. Little did I know that it was the start of a series that was going to take rather a long time for him to finish 20 years yeah um yeah so into the land of the unicorns is the book that i got um and it came out in 1994 which is probably about the time that i read it i'm trying to think this is probably about the time i read it um i'm sure you read it pretty immediately after yeah i don't i don't know how like unless he he must he could have just published directly through scholastic so it was didn't have to wait to get to Scholastic. I'm not sure. I didn't look that up, but I think he did. Um, I was kind of looking that up. I, I think he he was publishing through Scholastic, and that's part of what's going on now is he's kind of re rebranding and reformatting it to print it again because um, part of the the complaint of of fans of fans of this series is that the the final book, the fourth book. Um, was never printed in paperback so and it it also hasn't been reprinted so to get a copy of it it's like 50 bucks for yeah (laughs) i did i did want to mention that a little bit too so into the land of the unicorns published in 1994 the second book song of the wanderer published in 1999 i don't i don't know when we found out there was more books published i don't think it was in 1999 though um, the third book, Dark Whispers, came out in 2008, and then the fourth book, The Last Hunt, came out in 2010. Well, so Megan, when did you start gap. reading it? Because you told the story about how you and you and Caitlin started to become friends and realized you both had read this book. Was it just the the two books that were out at that point? Because you were in high school, right? I think it must yeah. have been when the third one came out that we figured it out. Well, I think that so there was the the biggest gap was between the second and mm-hmm. the third one, right? So we I remember finding the second one. Do you remember that used bookstore by the Burger, Burger you King found that, that there? mom used to take us to? I found the Song of the Wanderer there. Like I had just reread Into the Land of the Unicorns and I was like, I wonder if there's another one. And it was one of my rare brave moments where I actually talked to a stranger. <laughs> Don't adult, you love like, that? The person who was working in the store. <laughs> Uh, but it was a magical moment because I remember it because I asked her, I was like, so have do you know Into the Land of the Unicorns? And she was like, yes. <laughs> and I was like, is there any more of those? And she's like, yes. <laughs> and I was like, do you have a copy? 
And she was like, yes. <laughs> so that was where I found the song of the wanderer. Cool. I don't think I knew that story. Um, yeah. I don't know if you, you might not have been there with me, actually, because it felt like a very individual achievement. And if you had been there, I I'm had pretty been sure there. I would have like held your hand to talk to the stranger Oh, I'm sure me. I'd been like, no, um, I'm going to go look at these goosebumps over here. Because you know, mom was, yeah, mom was probably in the back of the store somewhere too. You're going to talk to someone? I'm, yeah. I'm gone. <laughs> None of us like to talk to strangers. Um, no, we don't. Okay, so Megan, you found that one, and then I don't know. I think from that point on, I just kind of randomly checked his website every couple months to see if there was any update. And finally, at some point, there was a they were announcing that he was actually going to finish the series. And I think he, I think like there was a only a two year gap. Because I think between the last two, because I think he actually wrote it all like at once. But they because it was originally supposed to be a trilogy. And then when he got into that like, last so part, long. he was like, yeah, no. <laughs> it goes so many yeah, places. So yeah. they, and like, like Katie yeah. was mentioning, he has started re-releasing. It. So now instead of four books, it is seven? Seven. seven. Mm-hmm. Is it seven? Seven. And I think seven. seven and I think he added in a there's couple. A, there's a, I believe okay. it. Then I have the wrong list. Because um, there's a couple of short stories he wrote as well along the way. And I don't know if those have their yeah. own book or if they're part of one of the newer. I think they might be part. I'm not sure, though. Yeah. So, it, and, it's and the reason, unclear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The reason he wanted to do that was, like Katie mentioned, is to give the books a more uniform length per book. Um, which makes sense because mm-hmm. a lot of reluctant readers, if a book is too long, like it doesn't matter what book it is, they're not, they're just not going to want to read it because it's intimidating. Um, so it's yeah. kind of cool. Like I think on the original release, the links were fine because he already, he had his audience, mm-hmm. right? Like people were eagerly waiting oh, for these. And, and his I think audience he got was our age. Of letters so. a day. Yeah, and his audience was our age, so like we didn't care. We were like, "Give me a thousand pages." And at that pages. point, we were used to like Harry Potter, which is a million pages, so didn't scare us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think he he bought the rights back to the printing rights back from Scholastic, so that he can have more control over this this process and kind of do it the way he, that he wants it. Yeah, and he also created um, full cast audio. He, oh, he created, created that, that? That's his, I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, he started that. So he is, um, that's, he, that's why he's the narrator, I think. And um, so all of the books now are in audio form, which is how we re-experienced it, um, which I really enjoyed listening to him be the narrator. I always think that's mm-hmm. really cool. Yes. And obviously he was super involved, so he was able to cast the voice actors and probably direct it and help in the production as well, which makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we can hear the way he really intended it. Yep. Okay. So why don't we get into it? We read the original four. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, we did. Uh, so we're going to give some quick summaries. So again, this is the point in time where spoilers are en route. Yes. Be prepared. Um, so I'm going to 
We're going to attempt to make these quick recaps. However, as you've heard, uh, the last few books are quite long. And I was trying to talk myself through a recap for the first book. And I was like, oh, I thought I was going to be able to do it in like 10 seconds. But there's a lot of information in there that needs to be shared as like (laughs) a basis for the rest of the... Yes. Um, So as Julia said, book one, Into the Land of the Unicorns, is basically building the world it starts off with the main character Kara and her grandmother kind of running away from a man and Kara has no idea why they're running away from him um, but her grandmother is very clearly terrified of him and they go into a church to escape him and as they're hiding her grandmother gives Kara um, a necklace that her grandmother had always always worn and she said you're gonna take this you're gonna go to the top of the top of the church and you're going to whisper into it Lester bring me home or Lester take me back I can't remember basically Lester I'm coming to (laughs) you and then you're gonna jump off the building and Kara does that and lands in a place that she's never been to before she doesn't recognize anything and is very quickly attacked by a creature that she also doesn't recognize and she woke up in the cave of who we learned to be a creature called the dimble thumb and he's this big creature who looks half man half bear um, but he's helping Kara and then in comes a freaking unicorn and she is So, like, is this real? I don't know. But the unicorn heals her by driving his horn. um, Well, he makes a connection with her by driving his horn basically into her heart. And from that point, they're able to speak mind to mind. She learns this unicorn's name is Lightfoot. And he's very important throughout the rest of the story. Um, But before she had left Earth, her grandmother told her to, when she gets to Lester, find the old one and tell her the Wanderer is weary. So Kara, from that point on, she, that is her mission. She and Lightfoot and the Dimble Thumb, and they meet up with a little cute guy called the Squidgem. Um, They go to find the old one, who is the Unicorn Queen. And by the end of the book, they do find her. And she tells the queen that the wanderer is weary, which means her grandmother is weary and is ready to come back to Lester. So the queen says, "Okay, go find her. And that's the end of book one. The only other big important thing that you need to know from book one is that we learn who the nemesis of the unicorns is. And she is a woman named Beloved, who is eons old centuries old she's very old but she is essentially immortal because when she was a young girl she got really sick and her dad took her into the woods to try to hunt for a unicorn so he could get its horn to heal her um because there was a misunderstanding about unicorns being mean i guess being mean and uh wanting to kill young girls um but in reality they just wanted to help them um And there was a very, very horrible timing thing where the unicorn went to heal her. And he the second his horn pierced her heart, um, her father shot it with an arrow and his head tipped back so quickly that the unicorn horn lodged in her heart. Just the tip of it, not the whole thing. But so she was from that point on constantly healing, ever constantly healing, but also constantly being injured right because the the horn was piercing her heart so it was constantly healing constantly being in pain 
And unable to die, she became immortal from that point because she had the magic of the unicorn in her heart. Um, and it became her... Uh, and after that happened, her the unicorn and her father fought to the death. So she watched a unicorn kill her father, basically. Um, so from that point on, it was her duty or her journey, her goal to kill every last unicorn to the point that unicorns had to find a new planet to live on and they fled earth and moved to luster so that's book one book two the song of the wanderer is uh kara and her troop um making it back to earth to find grandmother morris and bring her back and they do that obviously with many trials and tribulations along the way when they bring Grandmother Morris back to Luster, they learn that Grandmother Morris was actually, big spoiler here, was a unicorn. <gasps> yes, she used to be the unicorn known as Flickerfoot, and she, as a unicorn, and was she the queen's daughter or granddaughter? I don't remember. The queen's granddaughter, I believe. I think I think you're right. But she was in line to be the next queen, essentially. Um, and when she was a younger unicorn, she loved to to wander. Um, and she especially liked to go back and visit Earth. But since it was so dangerous to go to Earth, uh, her the the queen made her um, this potion, essentially, that if she were being chased by a hunter, which was one of Beloved's uh sons grandsons great grandsons um all of the hunters are beloved's army essentially um if she was being chased by a hunter on earth she could use this potion to transform into a human um and she did that and lost all of her memories and then grew up on earth i don't remember exactly how she ended up coming to luster as a human but she came to luster as a human and made friends with people but nobody knew she was flickerfoot until kara returned her um, and that was, and then at the very end of Song of the Wanderer, the queen dies, and uh, Grandmother Morris, Ama now known as Amalia Flickerfoot, uh, becomes the queen, and that sets us up into the big, uh, the big part where they fight Beloved essentially. So, and that goes into the third book, which I think Julia was going to take the mic now. I am, but I made notes for quite a shorter summary that's fine i probably talked for too long there so dark whispers is the th name of the third book and in this book there are two quests happening for members of the same family um kara is searching for the story that would reveal the secret of the rift between the delvers and the unicorns and at the same time we get to find out more about her father ian um who is also one of beloved's hunters i forgot yes we also learned that kara is yes. a hunter so She's she is both sides not only, of this war yes she is part unicorn part hunter um and ian is actually searching for his long lost wife kara's long lost mother in order to free her from the rainbow prison which i believe beloved sent her there is that correct Correct. Yes. And the reason they're, they're, her parents are long lost is because um, her grandmother basically took her from them when she realized the danger of, of the fact that her, you know, her, her father was a hunter and was still um, loyal to Beloved. So she 
she took her, basically kidnapped her from her parents, and her parents don't really understand why. That is all I have. Katie, okay. take it away. All right. Um, mine's going to be a bit longer. Um, <laughs> I wrote some notes too. There are so many different storylines that collide and are going on, as tends to happen in epic fantasy when. Um, you know, there's a lot of different uh, factions of the characters that are kind of splitting off and um, and doing their part of the quest and, and playing their part in defeating the, the villain. Um, so book four is The Last Hunt. Um, part of what happens at the end of um, book three um, is the, the, the creature, the Dimblethumb, which is the first character that Kara runs into, uh, is being influenced by the Dark Whisperer, um, who we find out uh, as part of that book is the result of the unicorns at some part point in their history trying to basically remove all evil from their beings. Like they, they are um, trying to separate themselves from all of their imperfections. And as a result, this creates a physical manifestation uh, in the form of two different characters. One of them is the Delvers, which is, um, I, I think Megan may have mentioned them in, in her part, um, but also the the Dark Whisperer, which is this kind of enigmatic being that speaks to people and, and feeds on their insecurities and their, their deepest, darkest desires that are maybe not the most um, complementary to their characters. So the Dark Whisperer is influencing the Dimble Thumb to essentially betray Luster. And uh, by the end of book three, the Dimble Thumb opens up a gate through what's called the Axis Mundi, which is a tree that was at the very beginning of the creation of Luster that kind of holds the whole world together through its root system. So he smashes a, a hole through this, which is what allows Beloved and her hunters to come through to Luster to start the last hunt. Um, so that's that's where the last hunt starts is is at the point where the world has been opened and is completely vulnerable to beloved and her hunters and it's setting the stage for kind of the final war so kara at this point is sent by her grandmother to enlist the help of gramog which is a dragon in their fight against beloved Um, and gramog agrees and she um, explains her story to kara because she actually used to be a human um, which that, that story is interesting, but not super vital. But the important part of it is that she introduces the idea of transformational magic, which is a type of magic that can be kind of transferred from person to person or being to being, um, which will come into play later in, in this story and becomes really critical. Um, meanwhile, I'm going to say meanwhile a lot, because again, there's a lot of different side plots going on that converge at the end. But meanwhile, Lightfoot is at the was at the base of the Axis Mundi when Beloved broke through. He escapes. Uh, he's being then pursued by the hunters that are coming through, and he um, escapes them by going back through that opening that be- that was created. And he found himself in Beloved's castle, which is in the Himalayas on Earth. Um, and he finds that the magic won't allow the hunters to come back through because one tries to come through and basically burns to a crisp. Um, so there's something about the magic that won't let them come back through for a period of time. Um, and it's here that he finds Kara's mother asleep um, in this kind of suspended animation while she is trapped in the rainbow prison where um, Ian and a couple of people that he meets along the way are are seeking her. Um, and when 
Lightfoot finds her, he decides to establish a connection with her in the same way that he did with Kara um, by piercing her with his horn. And it actually wakes her up from her sleep and frees her from the rainbow prison. Um, but her, but Martha, Kara's mother, had actually um, been found by Ian and his, his two um, companions, Fallon and Rajiv. Uh, and they'd been able to communicate enough to the point that she knew how to bring them back. So she basically sings a song that's really important to to her and Ian and is able to establish a connection through that um, kind of that alternate space. It's kind of like a, a limbo space that's between Earth and Luster is the way it's described. Um, so it brings them all back. And then they decide to hide until the hunters come back through, so they know that it's safe, so they can sneak back into they can sneak back into the opening into Luster, so they can help, um, you know, find Kara and fight the the hunters. Um, back to Kara, she learns that the hunters are looking for her using what's called blood trackers, um, and so she and Gramog are being pursued by them. And then she encounters uh, a being or someone, a man called Elihu. Um, and he explains to her that the only way that she can hide from them is if um, he transforms her into a unicorn, which she has unicorn blood, so he's able to do this. Um, and when that happens, the, the blood tracking is connection is lost, so the hunters lose the trail on her, and Beloved assumes that she's dead. Side note, um, we find out, this is a huge spoiler, a huge part of the plot, Elihu is actually... Um, he's actually been the dimble thumb the whole time. And he was <gasps> da -da -da, mind blown. Um, he is turned back into Elihu when he opened the gate to Lester for Beloved. So that transformational magic um, was removed from him as a result of him opening that gate. Um, but then I think the whisperer did that for right, him, right? Exactly. Like the whisperer is like, yeah, 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 no, you're right. No, no, no. Sorry. Sorry I, I didn't. I didn't make that clear. Um, that was the deal. The whisperer said, if you do something for me, I'll do something for you. And he turned him back into his human exactly. form. So um, he then used that transformational magic to change Kara into a unicorn, which then, because that flowed out of him, it turned him back into the dimble thumb. Um, and the, the companions that are with her father, Ian Hunter, Fallon, and Rajiv, specifically Fallon, is, uh, is seeking Elihu because he is his friend. Um, Fallon turns out to be, as they, as they start to tell each other's stories, Fallon was actually, he's part of, um, what was called the great power. So it's kind of, he's kind of a deity as is Elihu and, um, Fallon's sister, Allura. Um, and Allura was in love with, with Elihu. So, um, Allura actually created the squidgem, Fallon created the unicorns and Elihu created the world of luster, um. So the all of these these beings kind of come into the story as almost like a you know kind of a what is that called a duex machina where they kind of come in and they're able to solve a lot of the problems because they created them to begin with. Um, but it's a really there's a lot of really lovely themes and and concepts that come out of that. Um, so anyway, back to it. I think I'm almost done. Um, meanwhile, war is raging between the unicorns and the hunters, and the unicorns are allied with the Queen's players, which is a, a group of humans that are in Luster. There's very few humans in Luster. One of the, the Queen's players is Jacques, who actually was um, a romantic partner to Kara's grandmother when she was a human on Earth, Ivy Morris. Um, and it's thought that he is actually 
perhaps Martha's father and therefore Kara's grandfather. So he's part of this, this group of the Queen's players that is allied with the unicorns. They are able to somehow create a, a conjure or or find a creature called the cockatrice that is really effective in turning the hunters to stone. So they're starting to to um, really kind of turn the tide of this, this war against um, Beloved and her hunters. Um, and during this time, Fallon summons the Dark Whisperer uh, because he is the creator of the unicorns. He can summon the whisperer he has some some modicum of control over the dark whisperer and he has a fight to the death and he actually winds up willing uh killing the dark whisperer and and removing that uh part of the the villain altogether um and then it, it's at this point that the, this group this part of the group discovers that elihu is actually actually the dimble thumb fallon then uses the transformational magic to become the dimble thumb so that elihu can be come back to himself and actually heal the axis mundi because he's the creator of this world and he's the only one that can really have the power to heal it so he and his the other great power who is his um his love interest allura and fallon's sister step into the opening of the tree to heal it and they actually hold it together and they they kind of get subsumed by the tree um which which closes this this gate and starts to heal this world um at this point the centaurs and the delvers enter the fray and beloved and her hunters start to retreat um, beloved says that she cannot be defeated because the dark whisperer told her that the only person that could defeat her would be kara and kara is dead and she's assuming this because they they no longer have that connection through the blood tracking because she turned into a unicorn and at this point kara steps forward and announces that she is in fact alive and hello i'm here um you you can be defeated and at this point beloved kind of gives up and says begs for death because she's she's been this in this constant state of pain and torture pretty much since her childhood when the the unicorn horn went into her heart so kara as an attempt to to heal her because she you know this is her great 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 i think grandmother um and and wants to you know see the good in her tries to heal her with her horn but it actually winds up killing beloved instead um and that's basically the end of the story uh carrie kara stays in unicorn form at least through this part of the story um you know she kind of thinks about some of the things she misses but she also feels very at home in, in luster and she's with all of this family that she never knew about and um yeah the delvers become allies of the unicorns and it all kind of it all kind of works out it's a very uplifting ending um and the way things are tied together is is um pretty powerful i thought yes and like that was a very detailed description however if you haven't read the books there is so much much more detail (laughs) it leaves out so much that uh yes you got spoiled on many things however still recommend that you read it All right. Are we ready to discuss? Please. Okay. I have some questions. We can kind of go through them. If you guys have questions, throw them out as well. I mean, throw them into the conversation. Don't throw them in the garbage. <laughs> so let's talk about some of our favorite parts or favorite characters. Um, I'll start because I have one in mind who I don't think we actually ever mentioned in any of our summaries. Um, one of One of my favorite characters is Thomas the Tinker. Um, and he comes in in book one, and he's this character that has this magical cart that he can 
open up to be as big as like an RV, but also fold down to be as small as a wallet that he can fit into his pocket. And he has all of these different um, watches and chains in his jacket that he looks at one and it looks like a normal watch, and but he opens it and it becomes this magical weapon or it just, he seems to always have the right item at the right moment to save the day. And he was actually the one, I think, that was in charge of bringing the cockatrice in to to start the war basically between the unicorns and the the hunters um but he's one of my favorite characters because he doesn't just seem to have the right item at at the right moment but he always seems to have the right words for Kara at the right moment too um and one of my favorite conversations he has with her is in the very first book and they're talking about chains because the amulet that she used to get into Lester the chain around it broke and he was talking about how um, like there's chains all around us that we can't even necessarily see them but just because they might break at one point um, if you fix that part that tends to become the strongest part of the chain which kind of leads to thinking about like relationships like we have chains that link us and if we have a fight that chain might break there. However, if we take the time to mend that chain, then the chain becomes even stronger at that point. Um, and I thought that was a really beautiful idea and kind of led her into, led Kara into the the path of being able to forgive her father for being a hunter. Um, yeah. And I also kind of had the realization on this read through that I kind of married Thomas the Tinker. <laughs> like my husband, Chris, loves to fix things and Thomas the Tinker loves to fix things. I think Chris actually even asked someone once, do you tinker? And uh, he, yeah, it's just, I I love that character of Thomas. So I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on Thomas or any other characters that we didn't really highlight in our summaries that you wanted to. I was just going to say that I liked whenever Grimwald, who was the keeper of the Unicorn Chronicles, which I don't think we mentioned him. I always liked when he was telling one of the the Chronicles because it was like listening to a story within a story and it kind of like, Mm -hmm. it would like start with him talking and then it would like ease into the characters or the people involved in whatever story he was saying and then it would flow back into him when it was ending and I I just I enjoyed listening to that part those parts I I agree yeah I liked all of the Grimwald stories too absolutely yeah and I there was a I was looking through some some quotes from the different books and there was one in book one um since this is kind of where we're talking about that actually foreshadowed I think what was my favorite conversation maybe of the series in in book four um and I'm not sure who said it it was just kind of a quote that I found as I was doing my my review for this but it says family isn't blood she said bitterly continuing to back away family is who loves you who takes care of you and it it made me um remember the this conversation that I I just I found so touching and heartwarming and um it was between it's kind of after the resolution of everything you know the the hunt is over and and the characters are all kind of settling into living happily ever after and um Kara is walking with Jacques who um as mentioned previously 
was a was a in in a romantic relationship with her grandmother at one point when she was human and it's thought that she could be um his granddaughter and she turns to him and asked him you know why why doesn't he actually find out and ask her if uh if Martha is his daughter and if Kara is his granddaughter and he tells her that as long as he doesn't know there's always a little bit of hope that she could be and even if she wasn't, it wouldn't change anything because he would love her just the same. And I, I just really loved this, um, this perspective and um, approach to that because I think it's just such a beautiful example of humility. And he has such an utter lack of jealousy that to me really shows how pure his love is for Ivy and for Kara. Um, like he understands the story of this family and that it's, a lot of it is not about him and he just really appreciates being part of it and he doesn't feel the need to control that or be the central character in it he just he just purely loves them and that's all that he cares about and i just really loved that that idea and he's just there to help yes. yeah um as you guys were reading through um we're all adults now so we tend to as when we read things from that we loved as children and reread them as adults. I, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but I tend to notice different things or read something differently. Um, as an adult reading through this time around, um, is there anything that you picked up on or thought about differently that you didn't as a younger reader? Uh, well, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I didn't finish this series until now, and I... I oh, that's right. This was your yeah, first, first like, complete read through. read through. I had read the first three, but I had only read Into the Land of Unicorns more than once. And um, that one's just so short and quick. I, I wouldn't say that I really picked up on anything differently. It's talking about um, some of the other questions that we're going to talk about. I'm just going to bring them up now. Um, it felt really relevant to like the times right now. Um, I think, Megan, you posed the question about when Kara um, has to strip in front of the Delvers because they wanted to search her. Um, And she thinks to herself, let me see, let them see me. They're just Delvers. And you kind of, it kind of brings up the point that it it is kind of surprisingly emotional when you think about it because there's a lot of talk about body autonomy right now. And like that wasn't her choice necessarily to... Um, to be searched in that manner. Um, but she also yeah they strip yeah. searched her. They took off all her clothes and she was standing there yeah, naked. Which is yeah. which is um horrifying because she's still a child. Um, I think twelve yeah, or she's thirteen. Not, I think. She's not old, and this is a pretty adult situation that she ha- is finding herself in. Um, and you kind of made the point that it's kind of a transition from childhood to adulthood and was this her choice and that's just kind of a big issue right now too like between social media and like things that kids watch on YouTube like are they being transitioned into adulthood earlier than they maybe should be so you also asked a question about Chiron's story about how the whisperer became and he and we should never silence the voice of dissent also the part about where golden words convinces unicorns in a time of fear and again that feels really relevant right now too because a lot of people would like to silence other people because we don't agree on things and it's just (sighs) if the delvers and unicorns can get along can't 
you know, the Democrats and the Republicans. Would be nice. I just shot a lot of stuff at you guys, so you really respond. did. <laughs> we need to unpack. <laughs> yeah, let's go back for a second to um, the moment when the Delvers are strip searching yeah. Kara, because I thought that kind of related back to our conversation on um, what was the book that we gold. love hated. Yep. Spinning straw into gold and the, the the moments of transformation. Um, and I, I really felt as I was reading this part, like rereading the books this time, when I got to that part, I did not remember it at all. And I think that you're right, Julia, it's because of stuff that's going on right now with Roe v. Wade and all that other stuff that I really looked at it differently. Like, why is this part of a children's book? Like... Why, like, why did Coville choose to write it that way? And I'm not sure if if there was a reason other than saying um, there isn't any issue with nudity. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not entirely yeah. sure why he. Wrote I'm really it that glad way. you asked this question because I it really made me think about what does it mean within the context of the story. I mean, I think we we could we could definitely draw connections to you know, things like consent and things like body autonomy that Julia brought up in terms of our our reality in this life. Um, but I, I definitely think within the context of the story, one of the things that I think maybe it could be about, um, you know, we, we talked, you brought up spinning straw into gold and that, you know, this is definitely um, an element that we see in fairy tales of the, the heroine's transformation where we see, you know, the heroine go from have a loss of innocence and go from, um, you know, being a child to being an adult. And it, it could it could be representative of that. But I also think that within the context of the story and who the fact that Kara is so um, pivotal and uh, and just centric to kind of the arc of the story, because she is both unicorn and um, and human. Um, she she's as a human we are we are imperfect we are we are very imperfect beings and she's able to um, in a way that the unicorns can't make herself vulnerable to the evil parts of her unicorn ancestry because those are the delvers like that that was that whole um, backstory in the chronicles well actually I think it was removed from the chronicles right it was like out of the, the unicorn's memory like they had completely suppressed it because it was um, mm-hmm. their attempt at becoming perfect and driving out those things about them that that were not pure um, and and they thought were evil and it created these delvers and she's it to me it's kind of a maybe a representation of the unicorn part of herself making herself vulnerable enough to um, and, and being accepting of those parts of herself in the ways that the unicorns couldn't um, and what's more vulnerable than being naked, right? It's a very like literal um, image of, of vulnerability. So I, I mean, I think I think we can take it to mean um, we we can you know use it as an allegory to to things that are actually happening today. Um, if we think about when it was written, I don't know that that's what he meant, but that's what's great about literature in general. Like we stories that live on are ones that that have such universal themes that can be applied to so many different human experiences. And um, yeah, I think that was a really interesting point that I, I also didn't remember reading that the first time through and 
definitely experienced it a lot more viscerally this time around. Yeah. Another thing that I, I'm not sure if you guys felt this at all, but I felt like there were some LGBT mm-hmm. themes in as well, particularly through Ngama and Flensa's relationship. And then also um, Fallon as well. I got a whole yeah. Dumbledore. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Oh, I did too. I did too, except for the fact that Kara like specifically asks Fallon, like, were you guys romantically involved? And he says no. But he didn't didn't say no. He was like, he was just kind of like not like in the way you mean it is kind of how I interpreted it. Maybe. Maybe Elihu, Fallon, and Alora were the first thruple. Except that Fallon and Allura were brother and sister, so that would be a little... Rejected. (laughs) (laughs) Apologize. I mean... (laughs) Retracted. (laughs) Could have sister wives, I suppose. Um, I I agree. I think there are a, a lot of those tones and when you when you asked the question about like what are some of the things you you read you picked up on as an adult i mean i the first time i read these i was i would say that i was also an adult um I, adult I, yeah i mean 20s I, you know i mean as adultish what do, as I what do you know in your 20s nothing but you think you I know have a lot less than i do now but yeah um yeah. One of the things that I that I kind of picked up on in this time around, and I don't know if you guys picked up on this too, was actually not not even the description of Elihu with Fallon, but how Ian was experiencing Fallon, and and how he there was a lot of language and like moments of how he's just kind of drawn and attracted to Fallon and just noticing his stature, his power, his his. You know, it, it almost in the way that it's written, it sounds like he's almost attracted to him. But we know that he's yeah, like oh yeah. dang, he hot yeah, kind of like that. But I don't know, like the and the way that um, the way that the, what I like about the way that it's it's uh, positioned both in the characters of Fallon and Elihu, and I guess you can include Ian in that mix, and in the characters of Ngama and Flensa is the the idea that. Um, there are there can be attraction and intimacy without a sexual or romantic connotation you know like there's there's just these people that you are drawn to um, and and have just like a you know a kindred connection to and it doesn't it that doesn't have to necessarily lead to love and sex in in a romantic way but it's it's a it's a level of intimacy that I think um, you know some people maybe aren't maybe maybe is I, I don't want to actually I don't want to go down that path I I, I want to say I remember the the conversation of um, like when Fallon was explaining his relationship to Elihu I think it was to Ian in book three um, and he brings up the concept of the Alahim which is how he refers to how they refer to each other which in this book means like their dearest friend and confidant um Heart brother, brother, I think, is what how they yeah yeah, him. and he says something to the effect of, you know, there's there's a such a close connection between, um, you know, young boys when they're when they're friends very very early on, which we definitely see in children, and then as we we get older, that same level of intimacy 
seems to get lost through, you know, whether it be social constructs of what masculinity is, how you're allowed to be friends with someone. And I just, I, I, to me, it, it spoke to me about like, just the, how, how close you can be to a friend and how intimate you can be with a friend and have it not be like kind of cross that line into, into being sexual or romantic. I love that. I think you did a really fantastic job of putting that into words. And it's something that I was trying to, I I knew there was something more there that than what could just be read on the page. And I was struggling to, to put that into words. And I think you did a great job of yeah, doing that. Yeah, and who that. knows if that's what he actually meant, but um, that was what I took from it. You also brought up the point about the heart. Like, the heart is at the core of everything. And Megan, why don't we get into that question? I have something to say about it. Throughout the book, there were several people who are beings who protected their their literal physical beating heart with some type of magic um we maybe by choice or not necessarily by choice but we have beloved whose heart can't die because of the unicorn uh horn that's pierced in it fire throat is one of the dragons who enchanted her heart so that it was basically in a box somewhere protected. And then the Chiron had a heart that couldn't be destroyed unless it was destroyed by someone of noble blood, I believe. Is that the story on his? Um, but it was kind of a recurring theme or motif, I guess, throughout the story. What meaning did you guys make out of that happening over and over again? Um, well, I read an interview that Bruce Coville did um, with the Bound to Stay bookstore in 2013, and in it, he just basically said that the heart is at the core of everything that he writes, um, and he was quoted saying, my secret goal is to make people both laugh and cry, and even more, I want to feed their hearts. I like to work in children's books because it is a less cynical area. One reason my books work and why I work as a speaker is because I'm not afraid to show my heart. Aw, I love that. Yeah. Another thing about getting down to being vulnerable, and that's why he's so good at what he does. He's not afraid to to write or speak vulnerably. Yeah. And that's an important thing to teach our children, too. Um, so I'm glad he is using this space to do that for future generations of readers and I think just doing this read through just kind of showed that this is this is an enduring series like I don't I'm glad he's bringing it back into print and that a new Mm -hmm. group of readers can read it and um, I think he also added a chapter in one of the books Um, so maybe Mm -hmm. I'll go back and read that as well just to see oh I will for sure be rereading this series again probably multiple times i think i'll pick up the new format once it's all in print i'm interested to see nice all right let's uh take the conversation a little bit to a lighter side to kind of wrap up um they have not turned these books into a movie series yet or netflix series yet (laughs) i'm trying to put that out into the great beyond let's let's make this happen cool yeah it would be amazing. Yes, let's manifest this. Um, but you can't have a series without a cast. So if this were to become a live action um, movie or series, what are some casting calls you guys would want to make? I have one to start for Mgama. 
I would like to see Alexis Nicole Nelson, a.k.a. the Black Forager <laughs> on Instagram Ooh, in this role. I think her. it would be so funny. Yes. And oh my gosh. I think she'd be great. She would definitely take yeah. a different tone than the voice actor. You know, the voice did. actor okay. in I think the second book took had a different tone mm-hmm. than like it wasn't the same actor throughout the whole audio versions of all of these books. Yeah. But it also makes sense that her tone changes because Flinsa does, you know, get killed. Her Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> but we're doing spoilers. It's okay. We're outside the window of spoilers. Um but also, yeah. I would like this would be more of a voice acting because the unicorn. And for the voice of Lightfoot, I would like to hear Tom Hiddleston in that role. Oh, that's a good one. That's all. That's that's as far as I got. I couldn't think of, I couldn't think of anybody for Kara because I kind of think that should be a an unknown, an unknown that we don't we don't yeah. we haven't met her yet. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, I have a couple. Now, one came to me as we were talking. Um, my first one that I want is for Metaphil. I want Daniel Radcliffe to play Metaphil with prosthetics, but I want him to bring to the role. Remember in SNL when he was the Irish dancing Chinese calligraphy? <laughs> yeah. I want him to bring that to the that role. That is so I think it would be specific, hilarious. and I love it so much. <laughs> we also we didn't talk about Metaphil at didn't. all. He is hilarious. He's if probably you, my favorite character. Metaphil he is great. Like his character yeah, is worth listening to the audiobooks for. Yes. Like if you're, the, yes. like, just do it. Yeah. I yes. my favorite. Like, oh, go ahead, Megan. I was gonna say like reading through the books the first time like I liked Metaphil but he also kind of annoyed me but then <laughs> listening to it I was like oh this is how he was supposed to be read he's it hilarious. really brought him to life yeah so he is a um a griffin right which a grumpy griffin he's a grumpy griffin he's so impertinent and so stuck up but also so um endearing caring, because yeah. yeah he's caring like you know even though he's being really um like Secret annoyed softy. and grumpy he's like there's there's kind of an undertone of like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you you're wrong but i'm gonna say something ridiculous to make you know that i know you're right like like there was i forget exactly <laughs> what happened but someone said something and I, I found the quote because it was my favorite quote from him um and it was someone said something that just made him so annoyed but he couldn't like dispute it that he says i am ignoring you in fact, I think you're a figment <laughs> of my imagination. <laughs> I love it so much. Love yeah. Metaphil. Love Metaphil. Oh, and Squidgem. I love what Squidgem calls him. Stinky, stinky uh, cat butt bird head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something like That's that. That's a total yeah. kid, so uh, kid yes. um, insult. A total kid insult. Mm-hmm. I definitely imagine the yes. Squidgem being like like the voice of Squidgem being like a toddler in Bruce Coville's life that he just like took direct quotes from. Did you like imagine the definitely. Squidgem to look like the little furball from Ice Age? No, the little furball from Captain EO. Oh, I did. Megan didn't. might not 
know that one as well. I thought of him as like a I don't know that one like a well. flying squirrel or a sugar glider um, because I have an affinity for sugar gliders. Um, I th- I thought of him as that thing from Ice Age that looks like this the squirrel with the really big front teeth and he's always chasing the nut. <laughs> Scrat. Oh, yes, that's, that's how I pictured some the amalgamation of of all of those. I think would be just right. Okay, Katie, get on with your list. All right, I had a few. Um, so I did cast Kara because I just uh, finished season four of. Oh, let me let me um, let me preface this by saying like the actors I chose. You know, I would I would place them in this cast in whatever age appropriate point in their career it was. Like I have some some choices on here of not people who are not alive so like you know at at the point in time when it would have been they would have been the right age to play these characters is is when I would choose them so it's obviously not a real cast but um because I uh really enjoyed season four of Stranger Things and was really um impressed by the performance of Sadie Sink who plays Max and she's also got red hair like Kara I thought she would Mm. be a really good Kara because her face she's she's a really good actress and her face is so like cherubic but also like a little bit mischievous you know I I felt like she would really fit well into Mm -hmm. this role just with her look and her talent um Mm -hmm. that's a good one gamma I cast um Susan Kalichi Watson who plays Beth in this is us I just I saw gamma as this very like regal and like suffers no fools type of character and I think um, that actress really encaps- encapsulates that kind of that essence. Um, she's also absolutely gorgeous, which mm-hmm. I imagined Mgamma as being. Metaphil, I, I thought more from a voice acting perspective because I figured that any any um, any movie adaptation of this today would be Metaphil would probably be CGI. Um, but I, I just adore Robin Williams and his voice acting and thought that he would do mm-hmm. a good job of kind of capturing the mm-hmm. ridiculousness of Metaphil. <laughs> that would be a good one, too. Um, I cast Ian Hunter as Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, I he is, because Ian Hunter at the beginning is, you know, he's very much a villain. We don't know that he's Kara's father, and he's he's pursuing Kara, and he's he's like kind of the scary... Um, you know, uh, scary character. I can't think of another word. Um, and and Joaquin Phoenix is one of those actors that I went like I my I first experienced him as um, in uh, Gladiator, and he you hate him so much in that movie. And then I saw him in Signs, and I loved him so much in that movie. And he's just got that ability to to kind of play both the villain and and the beloved and the lovable hero. Um, that I think he would be good in that role. Um, Martha Hunter, I was a little bit stuck on, but I just, I wanted to choose someone that had red hair. So I kind of Googled some, I was like red hair, red haired actresses and. uh, Diane Weiss. That'd be a good one. Um, But I actually thought Egret from Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, she would have been really good too. I I came up with Amy Adams because um, she she sings I know Amy Adams sings really well um, Amy Adams is just like mm-hmm. she's like a I mean in Enchanted she's like a Disney princess like put into real life and this is such a fantasy role that I thought yeah. she would fit well um, that would be good too. Fallon I actually I actually chose Tom Hiddleston for Fallon too because to me he Tom Hiddleston has that just like aura of like 
Yeah. Oh, like, <laughs> you know, he just has this presence. And I feel like that's kind of the impact yeah. that Fallon has on, on some of the characters in the story. So Julie and I both that's a good one for, for different reasons. Like, but Tom Hiddleston, like night manager yes. Tom Hiddleston, not, not Loki, not Loki right. Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. yeah, night manager Tom Hiddleston for sure. What's wrong with Loki? Sorry, Joel. <laughs> well, it's just a different character. <gasps> Nothing He's wrong not with Loki. Not as debonair yeah. as the night manager. Yeah. I think um, Loki's pretty debonair. Oh, he is, but in a very different way. Like he plays that role so He's well. Mischievous. But I, right. Exactly. Which isn't really Fallon. Fallon's more of a, he's a deity. He's this like, you know, very um, commanding. Anyway, you get it. Um, and then Elihu slash Dimblethumb. The person that came to mind was Robbie Benson. And the reason is absolutely because of Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> and the, his voicing in Beauty and the Beast. Because he. I don't know who he, that he is. He did the voice the of Beast. Beast in Beauty and the Beast. Oh, And he has okay. this like. I had a total crush on him um, when when he was younger. He's this just like very dark, uh, com- not complected, but dark hair, um, light skin, and these just like crystal blue eyes that you know I think could could definitely be um, he he would be fitting in in the role of the deity. But he also has the the ability to to voice this gruff character of the Dimblethumb, which would probably also be CGI. So and then I for beloved um, because I just I really loved her performance in the new um, Doctor Strange movie was Elizabeth Olsen. I think she would have. I had thought of that one actually a few days ago. Yeah, yeah that's a good she one. She would just have that um, that be able to like portray the obsession of um, beloved's like life mission of of killing the unicorns. I think she would be really good in that role. And then finally Thomas the Tinker. I thought. Dick Van Dyke would be perfect in that role. Oh, yes. Because he just, like, he has that, you know, I mean, I think of him as, like, the the jack of all trades in Mary Poppins, but then he's also got that, like, yeah, yeah that, like, that, like, loving, you know, fatherly kind of ability to, to say the right thing and just super mm-hmm. endearing, so. Yes. Those were my thoughts. That's a great one. Very nice. Sorry, I had so many. That one was a fun question for me. That's okay. <laughs> that that was a fun question. Well, you guys, that was so much fun to talk about. And since we're trying to manifest things, I don't know if you guys picked up on this in the very last few chapters, but when Firethroat and the Queen have a conversation, I feel like we could start manifesting another series um, because Firethroat mentions, yes, Gromog died. However, there are still seven dragons in Luster. Because there's been one that they nobody knew about the whole time. So let's manifest to Bruce Coville. Write that story. <laughs> Please write that story. I would, hear, I would read him, it. Write him sure. a letter. Well, you guys, that was so much fun to talk about. Maybe we'll revisit it in a few years when it's time to do a reread and we'll reread the, the new prints. Um, or maybe that'll just be me. Um, <laughs> but I'll join you. Thank you for... An, Perfect. Thank you for taking part in this conversation with me. As always, it is such a pleasure to go down rabbit holes with you guys. Um, Until next time, you guys, let's read, share, and repeat. Bye. Bye. That brings us to a close on this chapter of Sibling Library. Thank you for listening. Until next time, let's read, share, and repeat.